0: Okay, with that, let's pray, and we'll get at our passage today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this year that we've had. Today marks the end of 2017. Uh, We look forward to this upcoming year. Uh, The clicking of the clock often uh, causes us to reflect and to uh, think about um, our time and our priorities and our values, and, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a time for us to sort of um, reset and reprioritize. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this section of Scripture today that you would help us as we evaluate um, the management of our time and how we honor you with our lives. We are grateful uh, for this opportunity that we have to gather to worship you, um, to study your word. We ask that you bless our time now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, we praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you would guide us now in Christ's good name, we pray. Amen. So at 11.59 tonight, at, uh, when the clock strikes midnight, 8,000, and I'll be asleep when it happens, um, <clears throat> 8,760 hours will have passed by since uh, last year when this happened. Um, I had to double check to make sure it wasn't a leap year, because so, I know like somebody's going to come up to me and say, Oh, Gunnar, you got it wrong. It's eight thousand seven hundred and eighty four hours. <laughs> it was not a leap year this year, nor this upcoming year. and so there's something about the clicking of the clock that and the the changing over of the calendar that that I think causes us rightfully to sort of uh evaluate our lives uh to to, to ponder how did I spend this last year are there uh, Are there goals that I had that I didn't make? are there things? Um, that I did well, that I want to continue. It, it, it's just sort of a time to, to, you know, to, wipe, to wipe the whiteboard uh, dry or clear and, and to sort of start fresh. Um, I think that there is, uh, based on the passage that we have here today, I think it's a, a biblical concept to sort of evaluate the time we have. It really is um, the most valuable commodity that each one of us has. Um, none of us are guaranteed uh, Eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours this upcoming year, uh, but each of us will give an account uh, to God for how we utilize the time that we 've uh, been given uh, today 's passage is is one of uh, my favorite passages since I probably discovered it becoming a christian there 's something that resonated resonated um, with me about this passage you know be uh, be careful how you live. Uh, uh, don't be foolish, which I w- had a master's degree in folly uh, before Christ. This week, thinking about it, I've been, f- you know, feeling my, I've had this cold. I finally broke down Thursday night and got went to the doctor and got some medicine just in case it might work, which I'm not convinced it is. Uh, it, it, this week, I've I've just been, you know, I've got this cold. Christmas Day, I'm like, hey, let's take the kids to the Wild Animal Park. We go to the Wild Animal Park. Never seen this thing uh, Somewhere in there, like, there's, like, that big pond that stinks really bad. On the one side of it, it turns out there's, like, this measure how far you can jump based on an animal. I don't even know what animal. All I know, it was, like, a big, like, seven-foot section. There's some squishy stuff there. We walk up to it and look at the kids and I say, that dad can jump farther than all of you. (laughs) So I jump, not really thinking... And I jumped pretty good. I, uh, you know, no Olympic record or anything like that. But I think I, I cleared about six feet. And then when I landed, all I know is my feet hit, and the next thing, right on my tailbone, caught the rest of it. So I'm like, I feel like I'm like, I think I broke my tailbone, possibly. We'll write it out. There's nothing you can do for it. I can't get casted up. But I'm kind of been walking around, going, Oh man, like, this didn't used to hurt. Like how? Did, like what's happening? Time's going by faster and. And as I look at this year, how do I evaluate and prioritize and, and uh, how do I go about this? And, and so this passage today, I think it'll cause us to think about this. Uh, the first thing we read is, uh, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, we, the therefore, we haven't been going through Ephesians, we're just kind of entering in, um, Right before that, there's a phrase that might have been a hymn of the early church, a, a saying that they would know. Um, the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Ephesus. He says, for this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's, there's this idea that if you're in Christ, you've, you've been woken up. You've, uh, it, 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 sense, it, it almost feels like spiritually you were asleep, and somebody did the ice bucket challenge on you, and it woke you up, and it's like, oh, now like, what do I, how do I live? What do I do now? It says, therefore, be careful how you walk. The word be careful is, is literally the word for seeing, looking. Uh, I, I think the ESV translates this verse, um, look carefully how you live your lives. And it's the idea of being on watch, being on guard. As you wake up in the morning and you go about your day, to, to carefully examine uh, what you're doing with your day. How, how are you going about it? The, the, the reason that's given um kind of getting ahead of myself is that the days are evil so as you get up look carefully there's landmines everywhere there there's things that you need to be cautious for in your spiritual life we're told that the father of christ is to be wise not unwise i already told you guys that i um i have my master's degree in folly i'm trying to recover from those era that 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 age um but that wisdom would really be produced in our lives as followers of Christ. Um, It's not something that happens overnight. I think maturity and wisdom takes time. I think some of us probably have, uh, you know, based on your influences and, and those that raised you and the people that you're around, some of us have a little bit more of a head start than others. I was in the camp of Catching Up, um... But so we're instructed to be careful, to look around, examine your life. As we go into 2018, uh, each day we're to do this. This isn't like, hey, once a year check in. God wants us to daily, um, to, to, to budget our time. You know, with, with money, when you budget it, you, you kind of spend it, you allot it before it comes in is, is wisdom with finances. But the Bible says, well, with your time, you're given so much time, so before you spend your time... <laughs> consider what are you going to do with the hours that are given to you this year to, to think through them, spend them before you have them, so that at the end of the year you don't go, where did all the time go? What did I do with my life? I, I often think of the story of uh, John Piper as a child and his book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's a great little book that was designed to give to college graduates. He tells a story about his, um, his father who was an evangelist and And he would go around the nation and and at this one place, um, they had like a six, I don't know how many days, but a number of days this revival happened. And on the last day or the last night, this older man who clearly had lived a very hard life with alcohol in the world um, was weeping on the front row and just crying out, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, I've wasted my life. And he opens the book with this story saying that that had an impact on him as a child. That this image of this man who got to the end of his life and realized that he'd wasted everything, realizing that that what you do for Christ is what matters. And when he got to the end of his life and he realized that he had very little that he'd done for Christ, he realized he'd wasted his whole life. And so the premise of this book, Don't Waste Your Life, which I think is a very biblical concept, is don't waste your life. Live your life for Christ, because at the end of the day, you will give an account. I will give an account for how we live it. And so from this in verse 16, he says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So very first, there's the warning. The d- days are evil. The, the world that we live in um, is inherently evil. <clears throat> Our flesh is inherently evil. We have desires and pulls uh, just in our nature that go against God. So he says the the bent in our lives, the bent in our culture, the bent in the world around us is evil. And because of this, you're to make the most of your time. Now, I, I mentioned already that this passage has been one of my favorite passages um, since I became a Christian. I, well, I don't think, I know that I misinterpreted it for most of my Christian life until really a few years ago, I forget how many years it's been now, but a number of years ago we went through the book of Ephesians and when we went through the book of Ephesians and I taught through it, it was at this point in my life that I realized that I had a major misunderstanding about what this verse was saying. See, I read it, making the most of your time. And so I interpret that as a good American, hardworking, red-blooded kind of guy. Like, you have 24 hours in a day. How much can you possibly do in that amount of time? Life is limited, so therefore accomplish and do as much as you can in the very limited resource that you've been given, time. Time. If I'm honest, I still struggle with this. This is not. This is. I, I, this, this is. A, this is a, a constant tug of war in my own life. But busyness is not what this passage is calling us to do. Um, in 1989, I kind of laugh as I was researching sort of illustrations on on busyness and and, and time and dealing with this. I stumbled across an article, the front, or actually the front page of Time Magazine in 1989. I think it was in April. Um, there was an article in 1989, an issue of the Time Magazine carried the cover story, How America Has Run Out of Time. And it began, super funny, I don't know who wrote it. I should have looked at that, but it was really <laughs> clever. So the, the opening paragraph of this article said this, um, If you have a moment to read the story with your feet up, free of interruption, at your leisure, put it down. It's not for you. If, like almost everyone else, you're trying to do something else at the same time, if you're stuck in traffic, waiting at the airport lounge, w- w- watching the news, if you're stirring the soup, shining your shoes, drying your hair, read on. Or hire somebody to read it for you and to give you a report. So this whole story is talking about how America has been, become so busy, and I'd laugh at this Some however many years has elapsed since then. So think back to 1989. Oh, how I would love to go back. I was a younger man, but but even as an adult, to be time warped back then. You you know, I think that's about when cell phones started to come out. And in 1989, the cell phone, it was like there was a big battery box, and then there was this cord. You guys ever see one of those? Or the one that looked like a huge brick? That not everybody had, only a couple people had this, and the cell phone was just actually that, a cell phone. And you didn't want to use it because I think it cost like $2 a minute to like make a phone call, but the people who had one simply had one because it was cool. <clears throat> like I literally think I, in between 1989 and 93, there were probably one or two people that I even knew who had one of these things. And this article then was talking about how busy America has become. I go back, oh man, those were the sleepy days. Like now we all have a cell phone in our pocket. No, we don't have just a cell phone in our pocket. We have like a computer that the whole world is open to us. We find ourselves today in an absolute rat race of doing a whole lot of stuff and not really doing anything at all. And so this passage, therefore, be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. The understanding to this is this word time. <clears throat> that word time is not Chronos. Chronos is the, the a clock as we know it, that there's 24 hours in a day ticking around. If that word was Chronos, how I was had understood it my whole life, that would be absolutely correct. But the word is actually kairos, uh, that, that there are um, opportunities presented to you um, that once they pass, they've passed, and there, there are key moments in your life. Um, the, the idea is, is almost like time, that, we, that our life is like a river, the time that we had. And as this river of time is passing us by, there are going to be certain things that float down that river, and you have opportunities Uh, to utilize them for God's glory and your benefit. And if they pass, they pass, and you've missed that opportunity. You've blown that moment of time. Kenneth Wiest writes on Kairos uh, in this passage, he says, the idea is not to make the best use of time as such, which is what we should do in the sense of not wasting it, but of taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. And these aren't just any opportunities. These are opportunities that God puts your way. And I, I fear that most of us are so busy and so, uh, are, are so driven by our calendars and the things that we have to do that God is presenting stuff right before us and they're passing us and we're missing what God desires of our lives. And at the end of our lives, we're going to stand before him and say, sorry, God, I was on Facebook when you presented that to me or I was uh, wrapped up in all of these things that seemed so important at the time. So this call is to wake up. To look around, to examine how you're spending your time, your days. I, I, I think that there's a challenge. Now when I read this, be careful how you walk, not as wise but as unwise, making the most of your time. Where I used to see how can I do as much as possible, I'm now always convicted. How can I start chopping stuff out of my schedule? How can I slow down my life to... To really uh, have the um, wherewithal in my own spirit that I sense what God is placing before me. And, and I think that that's what the challenge is. Um, as I enter the next year, this, today, I, I've really been convicted about my schedule, really uh, convicted about the church's calendar. I know you guys don't stress about the church calendar, but these, the, I don't want to say these silly bulletins. But these bulletins, you know, on the other, there's opportunities, there's stuff on the schedule, and, and I find that there's there's times like Melly's like, hey Gunner, the bulletin's ready to be looked over. I look it over, and it's like, oh, there's empty space on that bulletin. I got to fill it. We got to fill it because we need to have stuff in that bulletin because stuff needs to be done, right? And so I'm really convicted about kind of just slowing down and saying, okay, Lord, if that bulletin's empty, that bulletin can be empty. It's okay. Um, how how do we go about this? Paul here is just sort of setting the stage. He doesn't leave them. Be careful how you walk. I've read this a bunch of times. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. There's a warning there. It's so easy to get off track. There's landmines externally. There's pitfalls in our own spirit and our own flesh that we need to be guarded from. And so in light of this danger, how do we go about um, having this wisdom that we're instructed to have in verse 15. So verse 17, he says, don't be foolish again, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I think this is key, understanding what the will of the Lord is. That if we're going to make the most use of our time, if, if Uh, It begins with God's will, which is this mysterious thing that all of us are, if I only knew what God wanted. The Bible doesn't have like uh, moment-by-moment instructions in your life um, for how you can accomplish his will. What What I see within the scriptures from like Romans 12, those first couple verses there, is the idea is that as we grow in our relationship with God as we uh, take in his word in our lives. Then we begin to understand who he is and the things that he desires. And then our desires and begin to align with his so that when we're faced with little dis- dis- decisions, as we make them, while the Bible doesn't tell us exactly like, hey, you're supposed to buy that car or not buy that car, if you have the spirit of God within you, and you have his peace, you're like, I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do now, and I have peace about it, then hopefully you'll have wisdom as you go about your days. Um, But understanding his will, I think just some basics. If you're going to understand God's will, I think first and foremost, you need to know him. That means that you have to have a relationship with him. The Bible makes it very clear that apart from Christ, we're enemies of God, that we are sort of meandering in our lives being dead spiritually, that that we are not spiritually appraised. We don't have the eyes of God. We can't um, even begin to make right decisions from a spiritual perspective. So the first thing that we do biblically is is to examine, like, do you have a relationship with God? I'm not talking about that, hey, when you were six years old, you walked the aisle somewhere and you were maybe baptized as an infant. That's not what we're talking. We're talking about, are you believing, present tense, in Jesus as your Savior where you have an active relationship with him. And as you have a relationship with him, you're going to seek him for counsel. You're going to seek him for how you spend your days. You're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to say, Lord, what do you have for me to do this day? And even as I say that, the reality is, is probably uh, my day flows from like Sunday night to the week. You know, kind of, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do this week? What? As I look at my schedule, these are the things before me. What, what things do I need to accomplish between Sunday and Saturday, and how do I honor you with my schedule? I think that there's the idea of being in his word, because in the scriptures, this is how God has revealed himself to us. This is his revelation. He is uh, given to us that we would know him, that we would know his character, his nature, his desires, how he thinks, um, the things um, that we need to know concerning life and and relationships and, and how we go about things. And so I think there's a place for each of us to um, to make sure that you're constantly daily feeding on the Word of God, that you're, uh, I don't want to say you're tinkering with it, but, but that you're in it enough, that it's in your thoughts, that as you read it in the morning, that you don't just go through the motions of like, okay, I read, read what I needed to read, but you read it and then it's in your brain so that you're contemplating it, that you're meditating it on it, you're pondering it as you live your life. And as we take in the Word of God, we begin to take on the mind of God, and we, we have a greater understanding of how to manage our lives. I, I think that we do this personally, like in your day-to-day life. I think that Sundays are super critical. As Christians, we just went through Hebrews, that we're supposed to be committed to gathering with one another. We don't gather just for the sake of gathering. This is why we teach Uh, expositorily at this church, that we we take a book of the Bible, we work our way through it, we allow God to speak to us as he revealed his word to us. Um, I think that midweek Bible studies are are important. uh, I think prayer slash solitude is in my notes, times where we um, just allow God to speak to us. Maybe this is exercise, you know, maybe it's running, like, like, like for me, like doing some sort of exercise where I can't have my phone or any electronics, and I just, just my mind just think, and I have crazy thoughts, so you know, like I come back, and I think, Anna, I think God's really wanting me to do this. She's like, that's a good run, why don't you take another run and see if he still says that, you know, kinda, <laughs> like, I kind of, but but to do things where you're spending time with him, to, to think about the things that you've read, I that there, there is something to Christian fellowship, to being committed to one another in relationship, that we, um, there, there's wisdom of, with those who have been walking with the Lord longer than you. Like, there, there's something to that. that if, as you develop relationships where trust and openness and, and you can navigate life and you can have people that are above you spiritually, that doesn't always mean older than you, but that you can draw from wisdom of those that have been walking with the Lord for a while and then what happens is then you come alongside those that maybe don't know the Lord as long as you've known them, and then you're asked to sort of uh, be an influence in their life. Like There is something to us being together. We are the church. We just meet at this building. This building is not the church. We, the people, are the church. And the scriptures make it clear that fellowship with one another is, is critical for spiritual development. I would also say that growing to know God also comes through serving Him because as you serve Him, as you get involved, you're going to be challenged with things and you're going to be forced to grow. So I would encourage you this year to grow in your relationship with Him. If you don't know Him, to, to believe in Him, to trust in Him. And this isn't just a blind faith. I'm obviously here to help you work through that. I'd encourage you to be in the Word personally. Um, corporately, to be praying, to be spending time with God, to be spending time with one another, that we as a church should be encouraging one another in spiritual things, that we as a church individually and collectively should be serving one another in Christ, that we should be serving the, the world around us for the sake of bringing the good news to them, which is what verses 18 through 21 basically say, that as you... Um, So then verse 17, so do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And from that, practically, there's some instructions. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's not in my notes um, to speak about alcohol, but I do think it's important to uh, mention it. Um, I forget a couple trips to Israel ago, I always laugh, and that is a plug for the upcoming trip to Israel. We were at the Dead Sea, uh, and it was dinner time. We got back, and we're sitting at the table, and everybody's kind of just looking at me. Like, why are, you, why are you guys looking at me? I got something? Like, what's going on? Did I take too much food? I'm like, lay off me. I'm really hungry right now. Like, I've been walking a lot. Like, I'm like, what, what's going on? And everybody's just kind of like looking at me, Silly. And I asked, and finally I said, like, guys, what is happening? Like, what, what's going on? And I don't remember who it was, but somebody looked at me and said, well, Pastor Gunner, this hotel we're staying at, they, there's like wine and beer on tap for free. And we feel a little awkward. Like, are we allowed to, Like, are you allowed, like, what are you, why are you, am I your mother? i like, <laughs> <clears throat> Bible talks about drunkenness. Like, if you want to, like, you guys spent a lot of money to come to Israel. We're a really nice resort. If you want to have a glass of wine with your dinner, go for it. I don't care. Now, if you guys all get drunk and start doing crazy stuff, I might have a few words with you in the morning about like, was that appropriate? (laughs) But like, if you want to have a glass of wine, like like, like the Bible talks about drunkenness. And the issue here, really, when we look at these two verses or this two halves of this one verse, the, the issue is about control. What's controlling your life when you're drunk, you're no longer in control. When you have a glass of wine with your meal and you're not drunk, that's, you're still, your life is in control. I, there's warning there because in our culture, alcohol has caused a lot of problems, and there's a lot of things to, to be cautious about. But, but when I look at this verse, the number one thing that it's, it's instructing us as we want to know what the, will of the Lord what the, the will of the Lord is, the instruction is, what's control in your life? What are you controlled by? Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's your drive for success. Maybe it's your drive for uh, being, well, success can be, that's a whole big umbrella. That's like umbrella insurance. Like, could be sports, could be work, could be money, could be like you fill in the blank. Like, what are you controlled by? Well, the instruction here is to be controlled by the spirit of God. To allow him to lead your life. Then it leads to our speech. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. I'll just kind of stop there. I'm not going to get into the singing and making melody with your heart, I'm sorry, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like the the, the thrust of this is that we're in community with one another. Uh, our, Our speech with one another and about one another should be kind, gracious, loving, gentle, forgiving, not filled with gossip. That as we're controlled by the Spirit, our speech will be affected because our hearts will be changed. And as you dig deeper, our hearts are going to be devoted to God. That's the last part. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. So, as we're to know, committed to know his will, as we delve into his word, as we allow the spirit of God to control us, how we speak, Jesus is the one who said that, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> this cough is very annoying. <clears throat> um, he's the one that says it's not the, what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. It's, uh, or no, it's not what you put into your mouth which defiles you, it's what comes out of the mouth which comes from the heart ultimately. Ultimately. And so if we're controlled by the Spirit of God, that what's in our heart will, will change our heart, At its core, the first thing that we'll have is making melody. This is worship to the Lord. Worship of the Lord, what I always see connected to it is gratitude, giving thanks to him. That'll affect how we view one another. We'll view one another through Christ's eyes, which Christ is very merciful He's long-suffering, he's gracious to us, and we are to be the same with others. This whole section, which we're not going to cover, it leads into marriage relationships, it leads into parent-child relationships, it talks about uh, your working relationships, and then ultimately, it deals with sort of spiritual warfare as it concludes so as we end today, we're going to take communion to sort of end the year as church-wise with uh, taking the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> when I was searching for sort of an illustration or something to kind of, you know, like, I don't want to do a raise of hands, but it's like, do you guys still do re- re- resolutions? Like, I know Dave, we had coffee this week, and he said, well, what are you doing for your resolution? He's like, are you even doing a resolution? I'm like, yeah, I got no problem with resolutions. I just hold him lightly, and I found this illustration of resolutions. It was in this book. It is finished dealing with New Year's Eve resolutions. And I laugh and identify with this man. In 1738, the literary giant Samuel Johnson wrote in his diary, O Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. Nineteen years later, he wrote, O mighty God, enable me to shake off the sloth and redeem the time spent, misspent in idleness. And sin by diligent application of the days yet remaining. He wrote some variation of this prayer every year after that. Finally, in 1775, 38 years after his first resolution, he wrote When I look back upon the resolution of improvement and amendments which I have, year after year, been made and broken, why do I try and resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. Johnson is describing human life. We start each year thinking this is the year we resolve to turn over a new leaf and this time we are serious. We promise ourselves we're going to quit bad habits and start good ones. We're going to get in shape. (laughs) I'm going to go running tomorrow or maybe the next day. (laughs) I'm going to eat better Tomorrow, I have a barbecue plan today. <laughs> but it's not the new year today. I can eat t- tomorrow. I, it starts tomorrow. Where was I? I was getting convicted reading it. Okay, something about barbecue. Oh, eat better. Waste less time. Be more content. Be disciplined and so forth. We're going to be better husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. And then 12 months later, we fall in short again. The gospel is the good news. Announcing Jesus' infallible devotion to us in spite of our inconsistent devotion to him. Amen. As this new year gets underway, take comfort in knowing that we are all weak and he is strong. That even as our love for Jesus falls short, Jesus' love for us never will. So I'm going to ask the guys that are uh, going to pass out the communion to come forward. And I just a couple points before uh, communion goes out. <clears throat> as, as we take communion today, uh, much of what I'm referencing is, is, is in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, if you want to look, I think it's 20, 25 through like 41. Um, but as we take communion today, um, as we examine the time that we've spent this year, as, as we examine or evaluate how we're going to spend our time going forward this year. Communion is critical because communion is it takes us back to the, the, the foundational blocks of the Christian life. And the foundational blocks of the Christian life are, is that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you. The, the cracker and the juice are symbolic of his body that was broken on the cross, a new covenant that we have in him by faith alone. It's not about works. So, when we take communion, we're, we're, we force ourselves back to the cross, back to Golgotha, Gal- and we reflect upon the weight of the wrath of God that was inflicted on Jesus for my sin, for your sin. And it causes us to pause. And I think ultimately, in reflection of what Jesus did for us, the first thing that comes to my heart is just gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Lord. Uh, We're told in 1 Corinthians 11 that that as we take communion, that we're supposed to to reflect inward. Um, That communion is for Christians, but Christians still sin. And if you've sinned, this is our time to sort of confess. We're told that uh, he's faithful, he will cleanse us from our sin, but it's, it's our time to restore the relationship that has been broken with God, Uh, through our sin so we confess our sin privately Um, we reflect on the cross which i said and finally that we're instructed that that we as we take communion we're reminded to proclaim the gospel to to the world that doesn't know him because a time is coming when he will return and when he returns we will no longer proclaim the good news that that, the time will be finished and so as we take communion we're to do three three things reflect upon the cross Look inwardly, confess your sins. I would not suggest dwelling there too long because Jesus has paid the debt for you. You're to confess them, receive his forgiveness, move on. Then we're to consider those who don't know Jesus and ask him, Lord, I want to pray for their salvation. If there's any way that I could be used by you to bring the gospel to them, use me. With that, we're going to pray and then we'll pass out the elements and just hold on to your elements and then we'll take them all together. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have allotted to us this year. Father, I pray that you would help us to evaluate how we spent these hours. I pray that you would convict us, Lord, on um, things that need to change. Um, Help us to really uh, have a conviction that we are stewards of the life that you've given to us, that we will give an account for how we spent our days, minute by minute, hour by hour. I can't speak for everybody in this room, but Lord, I speak for myself that that when I stand before you, I, I desire to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict me, even if it hurts, about changing uh, habits that I have and how I'm spending my days. Um, I pray that you would give us the strength by your Spirit to live lives that are pleasing to you. If we're making resolutions this year to to read through the Bible or to commit to being in the Word more uh, faithfully, Lord, I pray that you would uh, really... um, Help us to be disciplined in those um, resolutions. Help us to have the strength and uh, by your spirit to honor uh, our desire to uh, really live our lives for you. And so we take communion today, remembering what you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus on the cross. We thank you uh, that his sacrifice was once and for all. We love you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.